Funky Brewster. Won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Stephen King. King. Oh, baby. Spooky. Now, this isn't... Are only Stephen King. No, no, no. This is about Stephen King himself. The man, the myth. And his books. And, writer. and the writer. Yeah. We will eventually be doing a lot of Stephen King movies. Oh, yeah. And books, too. And books. Uh, but this is just kind of an overview because in our First Loves Month, this is the author that Jim and I both got us into reading. Oh, yeah. Like, it was, it was uh, both of us read the books way too early. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they were good. They were so good. Yes, and uh, till today, he is my favorite author. I I think he... What happened today? What do you mean? You said till today. Until today. Well... <laughs> and now he's not? Yeah, we're going to have to go into it. <laughs> you watched one interview with him, and yeah, then it was like... Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I hate I'm the sorry. Red Sox. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, up until now, right. and in the future, He hopefully, is still your favorite. He's still my favorite author. I... Um, I've read every single thing he's ever written, I hope. There's a few short stories that have slipped through the cracks because they haven't been published yet. I don't know if I told this on air on a previous show, but it's funny. Reading his books now, I get to like 30, maybe 40 pages out from the end. Yeah. And I just stop (laughs) because I don't want to finish the book. Right. I don't. I'm having such a good time. and. His, it's been a while since you've got one of those it-sized opuses. Oh, it's um, coming. I'm sure it's coming. But look, even now, the, this last book, Holly, was amazing. It was a different type of book that he usually does. And yeah. I love the fact that he's taken this character, Holly, from the Mr. Mercedes trilogy. Holly and, Gibney. And, uh, and keeps using her. I think it's he's determined that's his favorite character. She's a great character. She's great. She's and super awesome. And and is such an inter- because of who she is, yeah. she's so interesting to write. Yeah. I, I imagine like he has so much fun with her. Yeah, and the growth of her character too, from the be- the first yeah. Mr. Mercedes book, Mr. Mercedes. <laughs> and up until now, which is I think the fifth book. Fifth book. She plus was in, a short story. in the outsider. Yeah, yeah and a short so story. Five and yeah. a quarter. Yeah. Um her growth has been really amazing. And uh that's the thing about Stephen King. Is his, it's not just a book; it's a universe. Yes, it's a world. He is a world builder, and his seminal works are the Dark Tower series. Yeah, yeah. And that, f- as he's finished, I'm putting it in quotes because yeah, Lord yeah. knows he'll probably write another one. But <laughs> since the completion of that, almost every book has some tie into that story. Yeah. And that universe. And it's funny because sometimes they'll say, oh, they went to see the movie Carrie. Or they'll, right. you know, there'll be It'll these little Easter Reference eggs. to, yeah, yeah. There's, there are huge articles in flow charts and things oh talking God. about how these things are connected and whatever. But I think he was, for him, it was mostly subconscious mm-hmm. until he had the accident. And then I think after that, it was like, oh, okay. Like, I'm going to make all this, all this happen. Well, there was an immediacy to his work then, yeah. too. Because A... Ooh, I'm doing the A's and the B's. Yeah. Uh, a, he, he didn't think he would be able to write again. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Right yeah, after yeah. it. I mean, he, thought, he, yeah, he thought he was going to be bedridden for he the should have been life. dead. I mean, he should have been dead, yes. The idiot who was playing with his dogs <clears throat> and not looking and yeah. smashed him. Yeah. You know, that 
could you imagine being the dude that hit Stephen King, by the way? No, could you no, imagine no. just the hate? Well, I, in, in, you know, in, in his Stephen King's defense, like, he totally forgave him and, like, realized it was an accident. He also made him a character in one of his books. He also bought the van that almost killed him. <laughs> Such a weirdo. I love it. But, yeah, I mean, look, he, he dealt with that in the Dark Tower series. He made himself a character, which is so risky, but it paid off and it worked really well. And that's how he was – he's folding it all in together. Like, it's so interesting. It's – this is a man, more so than any other writer I can think of, who is so in love with writing and yeah. reading and yeah. books, it doesn't seem like a torture, no, which is crazy because no. the subject matter of a lot of his <laughs> books are so yeah, bleak, yeah. but it seems like a man who just loves what he does, and there's no stopping him. I mean, the man no. writes every single day except for... Christmas. Four, four or, hours every day, except for Christmas Day. Yeah. He writes four hours every day. And, and granted, you know he's cheating and writing on Christmas. Granted, oh, you know he is. He gets up before anybody else, and he's writing for a couple hours. But his writing is not – he looks at it as writing is not just literally sitting down and writing. Right. Like, he's also rewriting. Yeah, he's yeah. also reading, because reading to him is writing as well. Well, he also loves reading. And oh, he, he is – yes. He's voracious. There is no other popular author that I know of that is such a champion of other people's books. Yes. Yeah. And makes a, a real conscious effort to promote, whether it's books or TV or movies, that yeah. he really enjoys uh, just out of fandom. Yeah. Yeah. Just like uh, – and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but like just like the Dollar Babies. You know, mm-hmm. it's like he wants the young filmmakers to succeed. Yeah. And if that means his name is on something, great. He just seems like a good dude with a great family. Yeah. And, and very talented family. And just, I hope he lives to a hundred. I know. And I, I know because the day when there is no more Stephen King books. Yeah, that's the end of reading almost <laughs> to me. You know what I mean? Look, I, know, I read a lot I know. of other books too. I, but yeah, but that is the core. You know, and I and I, look, all of you people that are like, ah, he's just a schlocky horror writer or whatever. First of all, F you, because yeah, he's, he's not. they teach courses on him. He is one of the best American writers yeah. of, uh, of American history. He, he, I had a teacher in, in AP English who did not read fiction. Yeah. Only read nonfiction, went to England every year, was in love with nonfiction, especially about the royalty. Did not read fiction. When he talked about descriptive words, mm-hmm. he always quoted Stephen King. Well, always. Look, nobody does better character development. Yeah. Nobody does better world building than Stephen King. No, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And if you really if you're a writer or an aspiring writer, I cannot recommend enough his book on writing. Oh my god, yeah. Which changed me the way Life, that I yeah. wrote. Life changing, yeah. But not in like, oh, I write this way now and this, but no. more in my attitude towards writing. Right. Right. It wasn't so precious, you yeah, know, and you it, just gotta do it. Yeah. There's this just a, a, a way about him that makes it seem so simple, but the truth is he's one of the most complex and uh, gifted writers yeah. of the last couple of centuries, I think. Yeah. I mean, I put him up there with uh, – I mean, it's a different kind of writing, but I put him up there with Twain, or I put yeah. him up there you know, as a storyteller. Well, I, uh, Twain – I mean, I feel like him and Twain are – I think Twain would love Stephen King. Oh, yeah. I mean, like he's – he was writing that, that the kind of King stuff back in the day, and people were also had issues with it. Yes, but it's 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 he is he's just 
so good at what he does. And has just gotten better and better and better, too. It's so amazing to see someone find what they love and do it so well Mm -hmm. and do it a lot. (laughs) And really, out of all of his novels, there's really only one that I'm not super – that I did not really like. And I kind of want to read it again to see if I would like it again. Because uh, I have, I have, a, I have one novel as well that it's I could not, I could not get through it. I could not it is. get through it. And I don't know. It, it's a, it's a weird book. It's ironic that insomnia put me to sleep while I was yeah. reading it. Yeah, it was weird, but that's the only one. And I kind of want to reread it because I'm curious to why. Same. I didn't same. like it. And uh, but I mean, that's a pretty damn good run for somebody with seventy books. I mean, there's always going to be something that's not really in your your wheelhouse. Maybe you know? Insomnia is somebody's favorite book. Who I, knows? I'm probably. You I know? mean, yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Take yourself back to 1974. Ooh. January 23rd, a fire kills 23 teenaged boys at the Heilig Heart College Sacred Heart School, a boarding school in Houston, Belgium. Oh, my God. That's terrible. It sounds like something out of a Stephen King novel. Yeah, but good God. 23 kids. It's a lot. Not a lot of reg- regulations back Apparently then. Apparently nobody was get, got up and left. I, or maybe they all did, except for the 23. Or I, who knows? I, I mean, you know, the yeah. building could have just been a tinderbox and went true. up in flames. That's, fires go way faster than people realize. Really? Uh, yeah. Especially when you're a fire starter. Ooh, <laughs> hey. Stephen King name check. Uh, February 1st, a fire kills 177 people and injures 293 others in the 23-story Jolma building in, in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, after another 11 later died of their injuries, the blaze began on the 12th floor of the building, apparently from a short circuit in a faulty air conditioner. Good Lord. Yeah, I can't. That's worse than just being somewhere with a fire is being 12 stories up and realizing you can't get down. Oh, yeah. That's nope. when you start jumping. Yeah, that's when know? it's like I just hope my legs just break and that's it. March 23rd, eight people were killed and six critically injured in a fire that began after a man threw a gasoline can and lighted fuse into a crowded bar in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Ernest James Burton Jr. walked to a police station and turned himself in 23 minutes after starting the fire. Burton had attacked the caboose bar after being ejected earlier in the day. I showed deal. (laughs) I see a pattern here. Yeah, April 5th, Stephen King's first novel, Carrie, is published. Yeah, there's a fire. There's a very large fire at the end of the novel. Uh, so, so far in his career, King has released 69 novels, 11 short story collections, with one more scheduled for 2024. Yeah. Which includes over 200 short stories. In the one coming out? No, yes. <laughs> no, all of them. Yeah. All of them. I was going to say, that's a pretty big collection. No. Uh, five nonfiction books and 21 screenplays. Yeah. Which I did not realize he had written 21 screenplays. Yeah. That blows my mind. He sold upwards of 400 million copies of his works, and those numbers I could find were literally 15 years old, so I'm sure it's much higher than that now. Sure. Uh, 51 movies have been adapted from his work, garnering over $1.7 billion in the box office. There are 12 movies currently in development to be adapted from his work, and 19 sequels, though mostly unrelated, unrelated to the originals, have been made. Ugh, and sequels are usually garb. They are bad. But uh, man, there is a, a, a renaissance of Stephen King work now. Yeah, uh, yeah. So much good stuff coming out, whether it's the It movies or the Castle Rock series that was yeah, unceremoniously was really canceled. Good. I know, I know. If you have a chance, check that out on Hulu. It's really good. Yeah, and it's it's more inspired by Stephen King. Right, but yeah. It fits very well in with this episode that we're doing today. Yes. Yeah. But you get to see Lizzie Kaplan. Oh, she's so uh, good. As the uh, Miz, Anne, as Annie Wilkes, Annie Wilkes from Misery, yeah. and she does a great job. Um, uh, also, thirty-five of his works have been adapted for TV, with five upcoming adaptations in development. Oh yeah, I mean, 
I mean, there was there was a period in my life where I was super excited every time there was a new Stephen King miniseries coming on. Everybody was the ABC Stephen King miniseries time. Yeah. I remember. I, I remember great. watching all my friends getting together in college like a bunch of weirdos yeah. and, and watching it. <laughs> you know? It was so good. I mean, it was good. I, I, yeah, it was good. Uh, so Stephen King was born in Portland, Maine, on September twenty first, nineteen forty seven. Ah, uh, yeah. I, yep. <laughs> His father, Donald Edwin King, a traveling vacuum salesman after returning from World War II, was born in Indiana with the surname Pollock, changing it to King as an adult. Yeah, they used to call him Dick. D- Dick. Dick. Yeah, because it's Donald Edwin King, D-E-K, Dick. Hey, what up, Dick? I just don't, th- I don't know if Stephen King would have been as popular if he was Stephen Pollock. No. Well. Doesn't really roll off the tongue. Well, I mean, there's Kevin Pollock. He's pretty successful. Not like Stephen King. Okay. There's also Jackson Pollock. I mean, there is. And he's not as successful as Stephen King. Yeah. <laughs> uh, King's mother was Nellie Ruth King uh, with a maiden name of Pillsbury. Nellie Pillsbury. Nellie Pillsbury. His parents were married in Scarborough, Maine on July 23rd, 1939. They lived with Donald's family in Chicago before moving to Croton-on-Hudson, New York. Okay. Yeah, it's a great name for a place. It really is. Uh, King's parents returned to Maine towards the end of World War II, living in a modest house in Scarborough. Uh, King is of Scots-Irish descent. Okay. Makes sense. I mean, Big drinker. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> At the age of four, King apparently witnessed one of his friends being struck and killed by a train, though he has no memory of the event. Yeah, that just seems... Uh, and the, the funny thing is, everybody's like, well, you had that trauma. This probably would cause you to I, be such yeah, a... You yeah, know. I know. Uh, his family told him that after leaving home to play with the boy, King returned speechless and seemingly in shock. Yeah, I, you think? Uh, only later did the family learn of the friend's death. Years later, my mother told me they had to pick up the pieces in a wicker basket. Eesh. Good uh, lord. Way to go, Mom. Mom told me that when I was eight. <laughs> yeah, it was literally two days later. <laughs> Good lord. Uh, people have Good said, lord, though, by the I, way. That is just horrific. Uh, horrific. Yeah, yeah. One of the very first, like... Awful clips I ever saw on the internet was a woman getting hit by a train. I was in college, and it was, I mean, so this was in, like, 96. And it was, like, after that, I was like, no, I don't need to watch any of this gore anymore. Never. I haven't watched any of the beheadings, any of that stuff. I just can't. I just don't want to see human misery. Literally just yesterday, the uh, E-Line train down by USC, where I had just been a few days prior, someone got hit by an E-Line train. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing at that, they probably weren't hurt as bad because they don't go as fast. But, like, man, trains are big and weighty. <laughs> yeah, but if you're just a little boy, I mean. Yeah, uh, anybody. I mean, it doesn't disappeared. Oh, yeah. It's just What nasty. do you do as a little kid? You have no concept of that stuff. No, no. Yeah. And then you're not in a time period either. Like, you know, I went through some trauma as a kid, too, and. There were no child psychologists. No, or yeah. What are you? What are you like? Well, he's probably going to have some drama. We're probably going to want to, you know, well, it's yeah. just walk it off. I mean, especially like 1951. <laughs> like, what are they? Yeah, what do you do? What are you crying about? I'll give you something to cry about. Let's go. Let's go put him in the special school for a while. My friend got hit by a tree. <laughs> Whatever. So people, war bonds. People have suggested that this is where King has gotten his dark ideas from, but King disagrees, saying, "I've been queried a lot about where I get my ideas or how I got interested in this stuff, and at some point, a lot of interviewers just turn into Dr. Freud and put me on the couch and say, what was your childhood like?'" And I say various things, and I confabulate a little bit and kind of dance around the question as best as I can. 
But bottom line, my childhood was pretty ordinary, except for a very early age. I wanted to be scared. I just did. Uh, I, I love the fact that Stephen King is someone that uses confabulate in a sense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he loves words. Oh, he does. Oh, my God, he loves words. But that makes sense, too. You know, it's like everybody's looking for some watershed moment or some origin story. And e- even, you know, as somebody who went through something very traumatic, yeah. it it going through something traumatic doesn't necessarily change you. As a human being, but right. it does inform a lot of who you are going yeah. forward, yeah. especially if you haven't dealt with it. Right, right. Uh, I also think that it's it's pretty obvious that King understands, like, marketing. Yeah. And that he's like, yeah, you want to think of this? I'm not going to necessarily say no. Sure. But it's like, you know, he has a persona, he has a mystique, and he's just going with it. I, I, I want to know what his relationship with his dad was like. Uh, well, his uh, dad left the family when he was two. <laughs> well, <laughs> so there's was... where you get your origin story. Exactly, exactly. It's not some crazy traumatic event. Which that is it a crazy, is a traumatic, crazy traumatic, traumatic event. event. It wasn't somebody getting hit by a train. It was just the father leaving. It's what you're lacking. And, you know, maybe it's better to have somebody gone rather than somebody abusive. But either way, there's always something missing in your life. If you lose a parent at an early age or there's a... The parent that leaves, right. there's always that question in the back of your mind of what if. And that yeah. what if yeah. is the worst thing right. of all right. of it. Because, you know, especially if things go south or sour, yeah. Yeah. then it's just, you know, what the F? You yeah. know, why yeah. is this happening? Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Uh, his mother raised him and his older brother, David, by herself, sometimes under great financial strain. Yeah. Uh, they moved from Scarborough and depended on relatives in Chicago, Illinois, Crotonaut Hudson, West De Pere, Wisconsin, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Malden, Massachusetts, and Stratford, Connecticut. Yeah, all that moving around, too, is That's, not good that for... That is not new. For a young kid, new, 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 Especially new. a shy guy, a reader like him. Yeah. You Book know, arm, making yeah. friends. Uh, when his king was 11, his family moved to Durham, Maine, where his mother cared for her parents until their deaths. Ugh. That means they did all that moving in like seven or eight years. Yeah, like, that's, that's a lot. It's crazy. It's a lot. After that, she became a caregiver in a local residential facility for the mentally challenged. Yeah, I bet he spent some time there because there's a lot of books and stories that oh, take place. Yes. In places like that it, at that time, too, like 50s. Oh, right, and, right, right. Uh, he started writing when he was six or seven, copying panels out of comic books and making up his own stories. Cool. Uh, he also loved movies. He would often go to the theater, watch a movie, then run home and write the quote-unquote novelization of the film he just saw. He was a lonely kid. He was. This is what this tells me, is he was a lonely kid who found solace and escape in reading and movies. Yeah. Uh, he was very drawn to Roger Corman movies. Yeah, because those were fun. They were fun back then. Oh, yeah. Back in yeah. the 50s and 60s. They were, you know, just the big crazy creature features. Yeah, you yeah. Know? They were fun. They were entertaining for, for a 10-year-old, 11-year-old. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to be the best thing ever. Yeah, and this was also, I think, the time when they had, like, the gimmicks in the theaters, like the yeah. shock seats and yeah. the... Yeah, the earthquake and all that stuff. Yeah. smell vision and all that. Right. Yeah. Uh, King was a voracious reader in his youth, he said. I read everything from Nancy Drew to Psycho. My favorite was The Shrinking Man by Richard Matheson. I was eight when I found that. Yeah. 
Richard Matheson. Yeah, just like you. <laughs> Stephen King quoting the old Richard Matheson. Uh, while browsing through an attic with his elder brother, he discovered a box of their father's books and had a sudden realization of what he wanted to do for a living. Good thing they found his father's books rather than his father's dirty mags. Yeah. He would have had a whole different career. <laughs> the box was filled with old Avon paperbacks, and his favorite was the H.P. Lovecraft collection from 1947 called The Lurking Fear and Other Stories. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lovecraft, via his absent father, made him realize he could write for a living. Yeah. Well, he's like, if he could do it, I could do it. This is crap. That's so funny. I have tried so hard to get into Lovecraft, and I do not like the way he writes. Yeah, it's it, – his stories are better than his writing. Yes. His concepts yes. are better. And But I get it. It's, it's uh, you know, it's – Lovecraft is kind of the, the, the beginning of that kind of horror. The yeah. kind of, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. interdimensional. That kind of cosmic, you know, crazy yeah. horror. Yeah. Coming from the depths of – Hell. Cthulhu's coming to get you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the mythos of Lovecraft is great. Plus, you know, there's the mythos behind the man, too. That all right, the, yeah. You know. well, it, <laughs> insanely racist he was. Yeah. It's not very <laughs> mythic. <laughs> Another formative book in his youth was Lord of the Flies, given him by a bookmobile driver. You remember bookmobiles? Yes, those were awesome. I and wish they, they still had them. Yeah, uh, it's classic. You really dropped the ball. They have. They really have. The kids in Lord of the Flies felt very real to King, and he realized that humanizing characters was vital to a story. Lord of the Flies has always represented what novels are for, why they are indispensable. Yeah. Lord of the Flies is one of my favorite books. So every time I read it, it is like reading it for the first time. It is so good. And it... I remember reading that for the first time and I think junior high or maybe I think it was the summer between junior high and high school, oh, yeah. the reading list that we had yeah, to do or something. Yeah, yeah. And just being captivated. It was a one day read for me because yeah. I had never read anything that was so almost personal. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it was there were kids. How much you identified. Yeah. 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 And especially yeah. I you know, I had a lot of anger as a kid and yeah. a lot of issues, and that book really spoke to me in a way that a lot didn't. Right. Right. And th- just the perfect symbolism of the collapse of society told through a bunch of bratty <laughs> annoying kids <laughs> bratty prep school <laughs> boarding school kids it, it was just brilliant and and you really see the influence on his character development because yeah. that's why that story right you know because right. you get to know piggy you get to know these other guys yeah. and yeah. and they're not just one-dimensional No, it's not just kids. the good and the bad. Yeah. They're, they're, they're kids. They're all people. So much going yeah. on. I'm surprised yeah. there hasn't been a really good movie adaptation of that. I guess it'd be hard. Yeah. I mean, it, well, the, the one in the 60s, I think, was not bad. Yeah. I don't remember who was in it. But uh, but it's... It, George yeah. Papard. There, <laughs> there needs to he be... Was it was There needs to be uh, a modern adaptation, because it still is relevant today, as it was back then. I guess Yellow Jackets is kind of the... Kind of similar. I yeah. still haven't watched that yet. I saw the first season. It was good. I haven't I've, I've heard the second season falls off dramatically. Well, then I won't watch it. I'll just <laughs> stick with the first. But, you know, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I Lord of the Flies, there's certain books and certain short stories that really hit me hard that I remember to today. One of them is The Stone Boy. Oh, yeah. Which we yeah. talked about, which we'll talk about more uh, next month when we do our yes. haterade. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> But there are certain things uh, that stuck with me, and this was one of them. And and that's what I loved about English class in the better schools that I went right. to. Is because right. literature, yeah, everybody reads Shakespeare, and everybody reads this, yeah. and yeah, yeah, we read that. But the good teachers, the ones that get you reading stuff 
that yeah. isn't necessarily on the curriculum. Right. And, right. you know, is more modern. Because I think kids get turned off by reading because they get forced into War and Peace yeah. or yeah. Shakespeare. When Shakespeare's lovely and War and Peace is a great book. Sure, sure. But they're difficult. Yeah. You know, yeah. start kids with something a little bit more accessible. Yeah. And that's why I think you and I are voracious readers, or at least used to be. Yeah. For me, yeah, I need I, to get back I, into it. Same, same. But I think we're really, we've always been readers because what got us in are the stories, whether it's Stephen King yeah. or for me, the the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which was one of the right. first, right. you know, adult books that I read. Yeah. I was yeah. very, very young. Or The Hobbit. You know, it's like those types of books that you can disappear into. Right. Are the best. And yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. A world that you can just immerse yourself in, where you, when you put the book down, you're like, looking around. Yeah, what, what is, what? This is weird. Yes, and that's what he does. Uh, it's funny, because Stephen King usually is is the, when I have a, a drought in book reading, Stephen King's usually the one that I'll, I'll pick up something yeah. of his older stuff to get me back into, like, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, you know. Yeah, he's one of the only authors that I reread. Yeah, yeah, same. For me... My counter to Stephen King is John Irving, which is yeah. like, yeah. he's like the <laughs> the other version of a New England writer. Right. But he's very – he and King have that same Dickensian feel to them yeah. where the stories and the worlds and everything. My favorite book, my favorite non-Stephen King book, which might be my favorite book, is A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. Right. Which right. is funny because it's basically a book about a man regaining his faith. Um, <laughs> but it's told in such an amazing way. And the character of Owen Meany is one of my absolute favorite characters in all of literature. And yeah. he has a very distinct voice. And the way that Irving conveys that is that all of Owen's dialogue is in all caps. Oh, yeah. So it creates a distinctive voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's you, interesting. In your head. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's a remarkable book. I, I don't think I have. I always give it to somebody. I'll right, buy it and give right. it to somebody to read it. But I do, I do that with my yeah. – I've literally rebought I Am Legend probably like six times. Yeah, Because I've same. given it to people and then just like, oh. Yeah. Which but he's it, one of those people like King. Yeah. But my my modern version is John Scalzi who, yes. who does sci-fi stuff. But he has a similar style to Stephen King. Great with character. Very accessible. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and the thing that King does, and we talk about this all the time, but – his gift is to create these characters and to build these characters, and the character development in, is so heavy in his books. Yeah. That by the time he starts killing them, I know, I know, you're, you have a deep connection to them, yeah. and you feel those deaths, and yeah. it's like you get scared. Look, I love, I love reading his books because he's the best at. You'll get to the end of a chapter and be. And that was the last time anybody ever saw him. And you're like, yeah. wait, what? Wait, no, no. And then you got to wait like three different chapters, yeah, yeah. three more chapters to, get to figure out what actually happened to him. But you know he's going to die. Yeah. And it's just, it's the, he builds suspense. Yeah, he's so Like good. nobody else. Oh yeah. my God. So just thinking about it, I just want to grab a book. I know, I know, I know. Uh, so I, I didn't know this, but King named his town of Castle Rock after the mountain fort in Lord of the Flies. Oh, wow. Used a quotation from it as an epigraph to Hearts Atlantis. Right. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't realize that he named it in uh, Castle Rock was after Lord of the Flies. But it didn't was know a very influential book for It me. was. King attended Durham Elementary School and entered Lisbon High School in Lisbon Falls, Maine in 1962. Uh, he contributed to Dave's Rag, the newspaper his brother printed with a mimeograph machine, and later told stories to his friends. Uh, 
His first independently published story was I Was a Teenage Grave Robber, okay. serialized over four issues of the fanzine Comics Review in 1965. He was a sports reporter for Lisbon's Weekly Enterprise, where his editor, John Gould, gave him some advice that stayed with him. Write with the door closed, rewrite with the door open. Yeah. That makes and sense. I, he has lived and died by that quote. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because he he is the best... As he calls it, as Stephen King calls it, he's not writing. He's excavating because mm-hmm. the story's there. He's just trying to find it. Right. And, and then the rewriting is where the writing actually comes in. Yeah, it's like a sculptor says that they are just chipping away yeah. at what there is. The, you know, the, the statue's sculpture, there. The sculpture's in yeah. there. They just yeah. need to chip the parts away to create it. In 1966, King entered the University of Maine at Orono on a scholarship. While there, he wrote for the student newspaper, The Maine Campus. King participated in a writing workshop organized by Professor Bruce Hatlin, where he fell in love with Tabitha Spruce. Nice. I love that her last name was Spruce. I know that's just weird. They used to call her the Spruce Goose. (laughs) King graduated in 1970 with a Bachelor of Arts in English, and his daughter Naomi Rachel was born that year. Nice. And then they got married in 1971. Scandalous! (laughs) Scandalous. She was a bastard. She was. Well, yeah. I guess she was, technically. Yeah. I always think of Bastard as being a boy. Well, you're sexist. That's true. That is true. Uh, King sold his first professional short story, The Glass Floor, to startling mystery stories in 1967. I miss the fact that there are so many great magazines back I then. I know. I there know. are so many cool magazines that some of the greatest writers had their start in with short stories. Yeah. A lot yeah. of more adult magazines. Uh, but mm-hmm. there were all these really cool yeah. sci-fi and monster mags and yeah. so many really cool things for readers back then. Yeah, it was really awesome. It took two years of submissions to the magazine before they accepted the glass floor. He was paid $35. Back then, that was about $350,000. <laughs> it has since been published in two other magazines and in 2020 for a collection of stories for one of the magazines. Nice. It's never technically been released in a, a collection of, of short stories. Uh, the 2020 thing was through a, a small independent publisher, and the collection of stories is very expensive. Really? I looked into it. and Well, especially now, because they only printed so many. But uh, yeah, and probably one good short story in it too. Uh, well, <laughs> after graduating from the University of Maine, King earned a certificate to teach high school, but unable to find a teaching post immediately, he supplemented his day work by selling short stories to magazines like Cavalier. Yeah, there we go. Cavalier was a men's magazine that was similar to Playboy. Similar, but not as classy. No, God, no. Many of these early stories were republished in Night Shift in 1978. Uh, which is a great collection of short stories. Yeah, that's got... Uh, doesn't Night Shift have Children of the Corn? I believe so, yes. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, in 1971, King was hired as an English teacher at Hampton Academy in Hampton, Maine. He continued to contribute short stories to magazines and worked on ideas for novels. I wonder if he was a good teacher. Because he's kind of I a mean, goony bird. I, I you know, he's kind so. of an odd, odd duck. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, he seems like he's very supportive. I think he like, would be supportive. Yeah. Like, he would be, a, he would be that teacher that probably affected some kids' lives. You I'd know? be I curious mean, to, to hear from some of his students. I'll have to do, I'll do some research, because I'm sure there's probably stories and articles about people that were taught by him. Sure. Uh, but I'll have to find some. We'll talk about it on the uh, Stepdad Jew. Nice. Uh, from 1966 to 1970, he wrote a draft of his dystopian novel, The Long Walk, and the anti-war novel Sword in the Darkness. What? Yeah. The Long Walk would be published under, under a pseudonym much later, and Sword in the Darkness was never published. Really? God knows, he probably has like 30 or 40 books that he's almost completed and just been like, meh. You know. Carrie started as a short story intended for Cavalier, but King tossed the first three pages in the trash. 
His wife, Tabitha, recovered them and said she wanted to know what happened next. Nice. He followed her advice and expanded it into a full novel. When Carrie was chosen for publication in 1973, King's phone was out of service. God, poor bastard. Yeah. He was, they were poor They were very ass. poor. Very poor. Doubleday editor William Thompson, Thompson sent King a telegram which read, Stop. Carrie officially a Doubleday book. Stop. $2,500 advance against royalties. Stop. Congrats, kid. Stop. The future lies ahead, Bill. Stop. The future lies ahead. Stop. Bill. There you stop. go. Stop. <laughs> there you go. Full stop. <laughs> Full stop. Uh, Carrie was published on April 5th, 1974, with a print run of 30,000 copies, and a paperback edition was published by New American Library in April of 1975. Ooh. Uh, almost a year later, uh, which it seems to be an ongoing thing, and I, it's annoying. Um, so I, I, I so prefer – I love hardbacks. They look good on the shelf. Yeah. I so prefer paperbacks. Oh. I – for every book other than Stephen King books, but I've been collecting yeah. his hardbacks. But you've – I mean, that makes sense. Uh, but I – I'm more likely to reread the paperbacks over and over and over. See, I don't know. I like the heft of, yeah. a, of a, you know, of a hardback. I don't know. I think it's just because that's what I started with him was yeah. with hardbacks. No, same, same. I just, it's harder for me to take it with me to the toilet. So there you go. <laughs> it's too heavy on my legs. All right. Yeah. Well, there, little <laughs> window in Adam's struggles. <laughs> the hardback initially sold less than 13,000 copies. Crazy. Well, nobody yeah. knew who he was. No, he was new. It was yeah. brand new. Uh, the New York Times review of Kerry noted that King does more than tell a story. He's a school teacher himself, and he gets into Kerry's mind as well as into the minds of her classmates. He also knows a thing or two about symbolism, blood symbolism especially. <laughs> blood symbolism. Yeah. The paperback edition became a bestseller, particularly after the release of the 1976 film adaptation, reaching four million in sales. It is the perfect book for a paperback. Oh yes, a beach read yes. or a plane oh, yeah. read yeah. or. King knew he had made it when he received a check for $400,000 for the film rights to carry. You think? Yeah, that was the moment. He, he, talks, he talks about it in, right, on, in On Writing. Yeah, yeah. Where he's just like, yeah, the phone rang, and suddenly it was like, I don't have to work anymore. I can just write. Yeah. And that was it. He was off to the races. Day. Yeah. We're still waiting for that day. <laughs> Three film adaptations have been released, with one getting a sequel, and a musical adaptation was released in 1988. A musical film? No, musical Mu- like, uh, theater. Theater. Play. Oh, okay. Musical theater. The musical was adapted to an episode of Riverdale on the CW. That's awesome. I just, can we go back for one second? And can I just say that not everything needs to be a musical? No, oh, no. People, I, not everything. I agree. I mean, my God. In fact, I'm going to say most things shouldn't be musical. <laughs> what is with everything having to be? T- I don't know. Look, no offense, but The Color Purple, a musical? Yeah. I mean, that is a very powerful book and movie. I know. I know. And it just seems, I don't know. Have seen it? Waitress? Waitress right. the musical? Well, that, that to me makes more sense because that's like a whimsical, sure. almost fairy tale story, and it kind of lends itself to that. It's less yeah. offensive than like, you know, Lord of the Flies, the musical. <laughs> I mean, it's just everything. Schindler's List, the musical. I mean, when are we going to see that? Well, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that Spielberg's not going to let that happen. I hope not. But I agree. There's too many things that have been made into musicals that should not be. Exactly. And then here's the thing. You make a movie, then the movie gets turned into a musical, and then they make a movie of the musical, and it's just like we get – it's just – It's a cycle. Or cycle, or cycle, over cycle. and over. Eat cycle, itself. Cycle. Eat, eat, eat. Uh, a new television miniseries is rumored to be in development at FX, but no movement has been made for a few years. Yeah. I, I don't I, know if it needs to be a series. Look. I, I think the, the De Palma movie is pretty good. You know – uh, let's separate the gratuitous opening of that film, which is 
as a 13-year-old boy, I was very appreciative of it. <laughs> but looking at it as an adult, yeah. it's just like, come on, De Palma. Yeah. But after that, it's it's pretty, smoking. Pretty yeah, great. It's yeah. great. And and he did a really good adaptation. And and part of that, too, is such a great cast with Sissy Spacek and yeah. John Travolta and Amy Irving. And and uh, William Cat, the, mo- the mom. Who plays the mom? Oh, yeah. Uh, they're all laughing at you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, she's. Amazing. I can't think of her name. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I know that the the sequels, the remakes. There's been two. There were two remakes within six years of each other. Yeah, and they there was just one weren't good. Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah, and it was fine. It was better than the one before that. But well, the the one thing I will say about the one before that is that they kind of took... Because the book is very different. It's basically a lot of letters. It's an and, epistolary. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Much That's, like Dracula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, you know, your your typical narrative experience. No. You're, no. You're, you're, it's almost like a found footage right, book. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so they did take a little bit more of a, you know... That, that a, a, an approach, yeah. you know, a, yeah. a, a strict adap- ad- adaptive approach. But it just... It's t- yeah. It just didn't really. And work. They brought back Amy, and they had Amy Irving playing right, the, right, the adult the, part. The, and, yeah, yeah. But 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 the book is phenomenal. I actually, I believe, I have a first uh, edition copy nice. that I got from a Goodwill. I need to look again, yeah. but it definitely has the cover of the original hardback. Yeah, but I don't know. It might be like a second or third printing. Between the two of us, we have most of them. Yeah. Uh, King was teaching Dracula to high school students and wondered what would happen if old world vampires came to a small New England town. I wonder what would happen. Ding, 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 light bulb. Uh, that was the germ of Salem's Lot, which King called... Peyton Place meets Dracula. <laughs> in two interviews in the 1980s, King called it his favorite of his novels. Now, that was the first one that I read, I believe. Oh, really? And way too young. Yeah. And it scared the ass out of me like i didn't so good i up until then didn't realize that you could get scared from books yeah oh yeah 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 how how frightening your imagination is much scarier than anything else and this lasted i remember reading misery as a young man and finishing that book and like thinking that Annie Wilson's going to pop up behind the chair. I was freaked. I mean... She's going to kill you. It is... He's so good at getting in your brain. Yeah, yeah. But I was way too young for Salem's Lot. Oh, no, no, totally. I mean, I... I, The first one that I read was uh, It, and I was way too young. Oh, yeah. I think I was... I think it was only like a year or two after it came out, because I I have a series of aunts and uncles that were much younger than a lot of them. My mom... my. Mom's side, they have a lot of lot of siblings, but like they were maybe like twelve years older than me. So, oh. like I started reading it at my grandma's house, and oh man, yeah, my sister is older, and I think I stole her Stephen King books, and that's how I got. It. Yeah, because anything yeah. she would do, yeah, I would want to do. Yeah, whether of course, it was, of course, you know, she's listening to Pink Floyd the Wall, so I want Pink right, Floyd the Wall. Right. I'm like, you're too young for Pink Floyd the Wall. Yeah, I don't know why I always make my mom sound like that. So she sounds <laughs> she like she does not sound like. But I would steal her Stephen King books because she loved him, too. And I think she still does yeah. to this day. But she's – it's funny. I mean, she's the one that got me into so much of this stuff early right. because right. I just wanted to be as cool as she. <laughs> Never <laughs> happened. Uh, do you know what he calls his favorite uh, novel now? Oh, uh, no. 
Lizzie story. Yes, right? yes. You yeah. can't stop talking about damn Lizzie story. <laughs> you know what's funny? It, it, it's Lizzie story is one of the only books I've not read of his. It's really good. I, I have it, and I just haven't read it's it. It's really good. It's very different. I. It's it's very personal. Yeah. You know, it's there's like yeah. a supernatural element to it, but it's a much more like relationship, right? Marriage story. With this, these fantastical elements to it. Wasn't, but there, wasn't there an adaptation of it in the last couple yeah, of years? Yeah, on okay. Apple TV, which I That's completely right. forgot. I completely forgot you should watch, yeah. Yeah, I think Clive Owen started in that. And, and, oh, uh, yeah. It, and, uh, is it, wasn't it a Juliet uh, Moore? Yeah, Or Julianne so. Moore? Julianne Moore Julianne and Moore, Clive Julianne, Owen, I think. Julianne Moore, yeah, yeah. It's one of those that's on my list. Granted, I haven't read his last, like, five books either because I'm way behind. You're missing out. I know. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Uh, Salem's Lot was released in 1975. Uh, the town was revisited in the short stories Jerusalem's Lot and One for the Road, both collected in Night Shift. Ooh, and don't forget all of the characters and illusions in the Dark Tower. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's too many to list. Well, because the, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the preacher, father, Callahan, Callahan. He makes a huge appearance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so cool to see him come back. <sighs> He's just, there's nothing like forced. We're ham-fisted about this stuff with him. Right. It's very right. organic, and it's it's. there's part of you as a fanboy that's like, ooh, it's Killian <laughs> in the thing. And then after you get over that initial giddiness and you start reading it, and you're like, damn, it really makes sense. And yeah. he's a huge part of the story. And what he did in the other story lends itself to why he's such a huge part of the story. Right. It's just, it's, I'm really excited to reread his whole Yeah. Take the next five, the ten years. Dark, or everything? You mean everything? Everything. Okay. That I, yeah. I, everything. I tried, uh, I tried doing that during the lockdown, <laughs> and I got to The Shining, and then for some reason I just stopped reading. Wow. You got three in. Yeah. Three yeah. in a 69. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, at the time, it was like 60. Because <laughs> he releases books so often. Yeah, but, but I yeah. think I'm going to, I think I have to do you it. You should. You totally. I mean, I need to get back to it. I, I definitely do. Um, It'll keep me going until the short story book comes out later this year. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, it was adapted. Salem's Lot was adapted into a two-part miniseries in 1979 by Toby Hooper. Yeah, with David Soul from uh, Stasky and Hutch. Which I actually have a copy of now. Oh, nice. So if, if we you want to watch it at some point. Um, a television miniseries in 2004 by Danish director Michael Salomon, uh, which I don't think I saw. That one, I believe, starred Rob Lowe. I think Stein you're right, Rob. actually. Now that you say that, I, that sounds more like He was playing Callahan. No, not Callahan. The, the uh, main character. The, the writer. Guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and a new feature film has been shot, but is yet to be released. They're not going to release it on on in the theaters. It's an H, it's a Max. Oh, it's going to be a Max thing, which means if it'll it probably be probably be shelled, shelled and we'll never see it. <laughs> Put because Zaslav needs a tax write off, Zazzy. So around Jerk. around that time, King's mother died from uterine cancer. Uh, after his mother's death, King and his family moved to Boulder, Colorado. Oh. Uh, he paid a visit to the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, which provided the basis for The Shining, about an alcoholic writer and his family taking care of a hotel for the winter. Interesting. He was probably having a drink while he was doing it. Probably. <laughs> the Shining was released in 1977. Uh, shortly after publication, The Shining made its way to Stanley Kubrick, who was desperately looking for a new film to make. I'm desperately looking for a new film to make. Yeah, he's he's Stanley Kubrick. I he's an amazing, talented person. He was a weirdo. I love Stanley Kubrick, but I don't would think I would want to work with him. Never, ever, ever. Uh, his assistant, Stanley Kubrick's assistant, said that he had a stack of novels on his desk, and every few minutes she would hear a smack as he threw a novel against the wall. Yeah, that's adult. 
Yeah, welcome to Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) Sometime later, she realized she hadn't heard a smack in a while, so she went to check on him, and he was reading The Shining. Nice. Uh, King found this really interesting, as he has gone on record claiming that the first 50 pages of The Shining was some of his most boring character work he's ever written. Well, that goes to show you Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) King would go on to write a screenplay for The Shining with the intention of Kubrick to use it for the film, but Kubrick wasn't a fan of King's work. Okay, this is the stuff that drives me nuts. Like... With The Witcher, the writing team hating the source I know, material. It's, I know. Why then? Why? It's even worse. He refused to read the screenplay. He yeah, just that's a totally. Dick move. That is uh, yeah. Dick move, Kubrick. Cube uh, dick. Subsequently, surprise, surprise, King hated the Kubrick version, which was released in 1980. Well, I get it. Look, I, mean, I love the bad, bad business from the beginning. The movie's brilliant, but yeah. it's not The Shining. No, no. There's so much of The Shining. He well, he basically. Excised 90% of the supernatural yeah. parts. Yeah, yeah. The whole boiler subplot, which is so important to the story. Yeah. You know, I well, mean. That's what, that's what literally makes me, when I first read it, because I had seen the movie and I really liked the movie and I knew King hated it. Yeah. And I was like, well, am I really going to like The Shining? Yeah. And then it was one of those, I literally read in like a day and a half. Yeah. yeah. Like I couldn't put it down. It's great. Uh, uh, the guy, uh, Scatman Crothers plays. I oh, forget yeah. his name. Uh, oh, man. It's not Doc, because that's no. what they call the kid. Doc, yeah, because he calls him Doc. Cause he got to shine. Shit, I, I, I don't remember his name. Anyway, he doesn't die in the book. He survives. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a very different story. And I think Kubrick took the essence of it, which is the yeah. alcoholic father who is the true monster right. of the right. story, and made it more relatable and a little bit more realistic yeah, even with yeah. the supernatural, you know. Yeah, even even with those elements, of yeah. the weirdness. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a it's a great movie, but it's not a great adaptation. If that makes exactly, sense. I agree. I hundred percent agree. Uh, King's family then returned to Auburn, Maine, in 1975, where he completed *The Stand*, an apocalyptic novel about a pandemic and its aftermath. Oh my God, such a good! I'm I've read that. Three or four times. Have I, you have you read the abridged version? Oh yeah, I've never read the abridged version. You mean the big old version? No, no, the abridged, the one. Oh that's, no, that's the first one I read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't have the new version. Right, I, it didn't come out for yeah. a while. Yeah, which we'll we'll talk about it. But uh, um, yeah. So well, actually, funny enough, uh, King recalls that it was the novel that took him the longest to write, and that it was also the one my longtime readers still seem to like the best. There's something a little depressing about such a united opinion that you did your best work 20 years ago. We won't go into that just now, thanks. <laughs> the version of The Stand that was released in 1978 was an abridged version, even though it was still 826 pages long. See, that I, when, I, when the new King book comes out and I see a page count that's like 800 yeah. to 1,200 pages, yeah. oh, I'm salivating because I know it's, I'm yeah, getting my money's It's going to be deep, yeah. The publisher had to cut 400 pages out because they were afraid that the glue for the paperbacks wouldn't hold up. Wow. That was the reason that they had to cut That's down the, the stand. That's the worst reason ever. Uh, the complete and uncut edition of the stand was released in 1990, supposedly when paperback, paperback glue technology would hold up to the 1,200-plus pages. There was a lot of paperback glue technology uh, <laughs> of adva- strides advancements. in the late 80s, <laughs> early 90s. I just, I'm sure it was also – I'm sure the publisher was like, look, man. You're still, we're still going to charge like five ninety nine for this, yeah. and it's going to be twice as long as every other book we've published so far. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, yeah, yeah. 
But I've never read. I've never read the abridged version. I've only read the uncut. Oh version. wow! Yeah. Well, good for you. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> in 1977, the Kings, with the addition of Owen Philip, their third and youngest child, traveled briefly to England. Oh, pip pip, cheerio! Yeah, they returned to Maine that fall, and King began teaching creative writing at the University of Maine. Nice. He didn't need to. <laughs> yeah, he absolutely didn't need to. Uh, the courses he taught on horror provide the basis for his first nonfiction book, Dance Macabre. Have you read that? I have. It's really good. It's very good. I remember when I got it, I was super disappointed. Because it's not an actual novel. it wasn't novel. <laughs> an actual novel, but then when I started reading it, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's really good. It's, he's very intelligent. Very intelligent man. Uh, in addition to releasing The Shining in 1977, King started releasing novels under the pseudonym Richard Bachman. Oh, yeah. Uh, King felt the need to use a pseudonym because he was writing faster than the average writer. My God, the guy... His output is insane. Absolutely insane. The only person I think that has matched his output is like Danielle Steele. And she releases like three books a year. But like there's there's a few writers that have written more than he has. But I still think he's up there with page count. Yeah. And a lot of the ones that write multiple, multiple books, it's the same character in a series. Yeah. Like a child just, or. And you're, you're just pumping them out. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. The publishing industry was under the impression that publishing more than one novel a year would turn off readers. Stupid. So stupid. I, I know. I would have bought 10 books a year. I, I would have loved to have the Stephen King of the Month. I exactly. <laughs> released 12 a year. He would release five short novels, all paperbacks, as Richard Bachman. Uh, Rage in 1977 about a deranged kid that brings a gun to school and holds his class hostage. Yeah, a very prescient story about... School shootings. Yeah, in, in 1977. You know, yeah. Uh, read that book. It's really If good. you can find it. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't they I'll don't loan it to you. It. I have it. I know. I well, got I, the Bachman books. My Bachman books is my most read book I've, I have in my entire life. Nice. I read it like once a year. It's so good. Awesome. Uh, the Long Walk was released in 1979 about a foot race of 100 kids who try to outlast each other. It's a, they've been trying to make that movie forever. Darebont, he's been trying yeah. for like 20 years. What's well, a toughie? I, it's, it's hard. It is hard. Uh, Road Work in 1981 about a man who doesn't want the city to take his house to put in a new highway. That's the one I remember the least. He is crazy. Well, uh, he goes crazy, but he he ends up blowing up the house because, with himself inside of it. Nice. Uh, but yeah, it was. all of these were much more... Like they blue collar, yeah. down to earth, like not supernatural, but like just like the horror of modern reality. Yeah, exactly. They were more a mirror on society rather yeah. than your typical horror books, which made sense that he put it under a pseudonym because it was a different kind of it was, writing for it him. It was. Uh, the Running Man was released in 1982 about a dystopian future and participating in a game show where no one wins. Oh, I'm a running man. Uh, also includes a plane crashing into a giant. I'm surprised it still gets printed. Uh, but at the end is uh, him flying the plane into the giant tower, the TV tower, like wow. the building. Yeah. Uh, and Thinner in 1984 about a man who is cursed by a gypsy to lose weight until he no longer exists. That's a good one, too. I Of the five, Thinner is probably my least favorite. Uh, I, I really – Thinner to me is – even though it's like a gypsy curse or whatever, yeah, yeah. there is like a almost there's like a realism to thinner about the, the yeah the psychological aspect of this guy who's fat who's finally getting skinny is like oh my god this yeah. is great yeah. and how it changes and the burden of somebody's wish that's what I really love about it right is, is that be careful what you wish for yeah and then when he gets down to like. Skeletal. It's just yeah, it's so just, yeah, creepy. Yeah. I need to read it again. It's been a long time. It's uh, a shame, too, that, uh, the, the, that John Candy the, wasn't able to do the, oh, the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
the movie the movie was not very good. That's no. probably part of the reason why I I look on it lesser sure. <laughs> because the movie was not very good. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great. Yeah. It, the, he had one of Hal Hartley's uh one of the guys that Hal Hartley always uses as an actor yeah. was the guy that started it. Yeah. Uh, King did not include an author photo or make public appearances as Bachman due to a convenient disfiguring accident that Bachman suffered. What was the accident? Did uh, he ever say? He, his face went into a thresher. Uh, yeah. Uh, really? No, I don't know what it was. Uh, fans eventually figured it out. A bookstore clerk thought that Thinner sounded too much like Stephen King and found that Rage was registered in copyright to Stephen King. Out of all of them, the out of all of the Bachman books, I think Thinner does have the... the the most it's the most telling yeah yeah agreed agreed i think the other ones are different enough and different style enough that yeah yeah uh know. the bookstore clerk called king's agent and king finally came clean in king's mind as soon as fans figured out bachman was him he bachman died of course yeah he was done uh king would eventually quote unquote discover a couple of manuscripts that bachman wrote and never so published great. uh the regulators in 1996 a companion book to desperation which bore king's name that was a fun double do they where were it was super weird both yeah. of them were super weird I really like so them, violent yeah and oh then my they God. did a movie adaptation yeah with ron perlman playing yeah. the, uh, the sheriff but also related to uh hearts atlantis mm-hmm. and related to the with the the weird guys in the van and like oh yeah the yeah. the lowman the lowman yeah. there you go it's a very you. dark tower very dark tower uh and blaze which was released in 1997 uh the blaze manuscript was actually held at the university of maine since 1973 before king rewrote uh pub- before publication wow um so yeah it was just sitting you could literally go check it out from the university of maine crazy yeah king also had other pseudonyms the short story the fifth quarter was published under the pseudonym john swithin the name of a character in carrie by cavalier in april of 1972 huh uh, the story was reprinted in King's collection Nightmares and Dreamscapes in 1993 under his own name. In, in, in the introduction to Blaze, King claims that Bachman was the one using the Swithin pseudonym. Yeah, yeah was, he's just making it even more complicated. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Charlie the Choo Choo from the World of the Dark Tower was published in 2016 under the pseudonym Beryl Evans and illustrated by Ned Dameron. Beryl Evans is the one who writes the book in the book. Yeah. The Dark yeah. Tower the, series. <laughs> it is adapted from a fictional book central to the plot of the Kings of Kings, the Dark Tower 3, The Wastelands. Have you seen Charlie the Choo Choo? No. I think my my brother actually, I believe, owns a copy of it. Oh, wow. Uh, In 1977, King had the first installment of a five-part story published in Cavalier called The Dark Tower, The Gunslinger. Yeah, baby. Uh, Night Shift, his first collection, we'll come back to The Dark Tower. Uh, The Night Shift, his first collection of short stories was released in 1978. Great. Six feature films were made from the short stories. Uh, Children of the Corn in 1984 from uh, Hal Roach Studios, directed by Fitz Kirsch. Not great, but the best of the bunch of the... Adaptations of Children of the Corn. And definitely Linda Hamilton was, was amazing. She was awesome. Well, amazing is a... She was amazing. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, Cat's Eye in 1985, an anthology film directed by Louis Teague, who directed Cujo, featuring adaptations of Quitter's Inc. and The Ledge. Very good. Also had Drew Barrymore in it. Yeah. As the through line. And then oh, yeah, the for... final story was the little... It was a little troll. It was a troll. A little troll. Yeah. yeah, yeah it yeah. was that little troll. It was so creepy, too. Yeah. That was a good movie. It was. It was. It's much better than people remember. Quitter's Inc. is great oh with God, uh, Inc. with James Woods. Oh as yeah, the quitter. yeah, 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 uh, yeah. That's right. So good. Guy and trying then, to quit. Mm-hmm. It was so. Uh, it was so good. And the ledge is such a great one too because it's like a bet. 
It's like you gotta yeah. walk around the ledge. <laughs> oh. uh, Maximum Overdrive, based on trucks, was released in 1986. Was actually directed by Stephen King. Yeah, it, let's say directed by cocaine. It was and the only, Stephen King. It was the only movie that Stephen King ever directed. Uh, he actually wanted Bruce Springsteen to play the lead. Hey, those trucks are coming alive. <laughs> we better sing about it. Oh my. <laughs> I cannot stand Bruce Springsteen. I know I'm in the minority there. I know. I'm not a fan. But uh, he loves Bruce Springsteen. But he's of that time, too. He is. And he's a musician. So, like, it, it makes sense. I. It is not, not a good movie. But I love Maximum Oh, I Morgan. love Maximum Overdrive. Are you kidding? such a guilty pleasure. It is so bad. Emilio Estevez. It's, it's, oh, everything's coming alive. And then someone gets choked to death by their headphone cords. Yeah. Sure. Meep, <laughs> meep. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, Graveyard Shift in 1990, directed by Ralph S. Singleton. Very, uh, a very forgettable film. Yeah, not very good. Uh, the Mangler in 1995, directed by Toby Hooper. Don't, I don't remember that. Uh, it was about a machine that ate people. Right. Like, it was, it was okay. Uh, it wasn't very good. Uh, the Boogeyman, which came out in 2023. Graveyard Shift was the one about the rats. Yes. Okay, the now guys I working. That. Yeah, yeah, the guys yeah, working yeah, yeah, the rats, yeah. Uh, the Boogeyman came out in 2023, which I believe you watched. Oh, it was really yeah. good. It was I a, haven't seen it yet. It was a different adaptation, but it I, I really enjoyed it, and I thought the cast was incredible. The, the right. little girl who played Leia in... Uh, oh, yeah, in the in Obi-Wan. In mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, the Lawnmower Man was a feature that was released in 1982, but only took the title from the short story, not the plot. Ugh. Uh, the the short story was about a guy who literally eats grass like a goat. Yeah. And the movie was about a weird dude who gets smart from AI. It was about a dis- developmentally disabled lawnmower man who mowed lawns. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Pierce Brosnan is a scientist. <laughs> I'm a scientist using AI. And uh, he hooks up a computer to Dum Dum's head. Yeah. And makes him super smart and then turns into I... a... An entity in the computer. I remember when it was coming out and they attached Stephen King's name to it, and I was so disappointed. Uh, I was like, there's no way. There's no way that Stephen King would write anything no, like this. No, everybody was. But the, the one selling point was it was one of the first movies to use computer graphics, CGI. Yes, CGI, yeah. Yeah, it's very dated. If you want to see the early, <laughs> it's, it's so like bad. watching a PS1 it's game so cutscene. It yeah. is. It's so bad. Uh, there are also five television adaptations made from Night Shift. Uh, sometimes they come back in 1991, uh, which was I actually thought was pretty good. Yeah, that was good. I enjoyed that. It was a good, it was a good uh, character study. Uh, Trucks in 1997, airing on the USA Network. Which was just a remake. A remake of, of Trucks. Yeah, yeah. I, I, which I never saw. It wasn't bad. I mean, it was a, a, a more competent <laughs> adaptation of the book. It wasn't bad. It's just... There's just something joyously awful about the first one. Oh my god! Just... It's, it is a it is the definition of a guilty pleasure. Oh yeah. Uh, Battleground in 2006 in the miniseries Nightmares and Dreamscapes. One of the absolute best adaptations of yes. any of his stories yes. with uh, William Hurt. Yes, and, and no dialogue, none. and him getting attacked by little green army men. It's a battle between him and, and so tiny little. Oh, it's so it's good, amazing. So good. Children of the Corn in 2009, another remake that aired on the Sci-Fi Network. Yeah, not missable. Uh, and Chapel Wait uh, in 2021, based on the short story Jerusalem's Lot. I don't uh, think I saw that. Very loosely uh, uh, adapted. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Have uh, you seen that one? No, I've not. Uh, ten of the stories have also been turned into short films through King's Dollar Babies program. Oh, I so wanted to do that when I was I, a film I know, student. I know. King sometimes allows his short stories to be filmed by film students for a dollar. So cool of him. 
uh, he he's like, yeah. I mean, it's good. It's good source material. Use because it. He doesn't need money. He doesn't give no. an s about money. The guy's got a billion dollars, probably. He loves movies, and he wants to see the new generation of filmmakers get good. Yes, he also wants to. You know, he appreciates his fans. He appreciates yeah. the people that appreciate him. I love the. Dear longtime reader, uh, oh, I know. letters yeah. that we get at the beginning of the end yeah. of the book, yeah. you know, because they we constant are readers. we are the yeah. constant readers. Constant, we are, you know? yeah, constantly, yeah. Uh, the dollar deals are not re- intended for commercial release, and Stephen King still retains all the film rights to the stories. Uh, since 1977, almost 50 known dollar babies have been filmed. Yeah, known, it could be possibly more, as King doesn't really keep track of them. Uh, someone in the last like 20 years started, and then they realized that. There's no way. There's a website that keeps track. But yeah. There's like no way because there's so much stuff for like 15 years. They sure. Keep track of. Yeah. In 1979, he published The Dead Zone about an ordinary man gifted with second sight. Such a great book. Uh, it, it's so good. It was the first of his novels to take place in Castle Rock, Maine. Yeah. Uh, eventually would be released as a, uh, as a movie. Oh, it, one of the most horrifying death scenes I've ever oh seen. Oh, my in God. With the skizzers. Yeah. Such a, and a, one of my favorite King adaptations too. Christopher yeah. Walken is transcendent. So good as uh, Billy. Is it Billy? Billy, I think it's Billy. And uh, but that the book, the story is so great because you think, oh, it's this guy who gets in a horrible accident, he becomes clairvoyant, but then it turns into like a Manchurian Candidate type yeah. of situation, yeah. and there's just so much going on. And then by the time you get to the end of the book, you're just like, what the f did I just <laughs> read? Uh, in 1980, he released Firestarter, which would eventually be adapted into a 1984 movie starring David Keith and Drew Barrymore. It's another guilty pleasure of mine. George C. Scott yeah, playing it is, Indian in that. It's is not a, a great movie, but it is a guilty pleasure. But I think you get to see George C. Scott Indian. playing an Indian. Yeah. He has a big old ponytail and, yeah, a, and an eye patch. Super weird. But it's a, it's a really good book. Don't go off of the movie. Yeah, yeah. In 1981, he released Cujo, his only novel without chapter breaks. I think that was the first one. That I might have read in one sitting. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, it would also be made into a movie starring Dee Wallace and Danny Pintaro. Uh, please listen to our Cujo episode for more detailed info about Cujo. Please do. Fun movie. It's a great movie. Uh, the movie's so good. And, it's and one of, yeah. When I, I read Cujo during that time, and I totally didn't even realize there was no chapter breaks. Yeah. Like, it just goes. That's cocaine yeah. for you, baby. <laughs> no time for chapters. Uh, Dance Macabre, his first nonfiction book, was released in 1981, uh, which is a compendium of the classes he taught on the horror genre at the University of Maine. Uh, 1981 also saw the first or the final installment of The Dark Tower, The Gunslinger, published in Cavalier. Hmm. How different it, is it from the book? Do you know? It's not. It, it's, it's, I think it might be smoothed out, but it's not. I think it's pretty much uh, um, from what I know. Well, uh, I remember being trying to be a Stephen King completionist back then. Yeah. When there was like. 10 or 15 books. Right. And just trying so hard to find the Dark Tower. Yeah, yeah. It was impossible. It wasn't in print or anything. I think... Yeah. Well, and then you, you there was no internet or anything for searching or right. eBay right. or any of You're that just stuff. just going to bookstores and looking stuff up. Uh, it would be released as a full novel in 1982, and King would write a total of eight books about the gunslinger as he chased the man in black through the desert. It's the 82 version that's really hard to find. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, part two, The Drawing of the Three, would be released in 1987. Part three, The Wastelands, would be released in 1991. Part four, Wizarding Glass, would be released in 1997. Okay, yes. Six years, man. Six years I had to wait <laughs> between those two books. Part the, three and four, yeah. The, the, I, the Dark Tower series is my absolute favorite yeah. book series of all. Even above Lord of the Rings, which was my first love, I think it's such a 
impressive opus. And yeah. reading it real time back then was torture, dude. Yeah. It was worse yeah. than waiting for the Star Wars movies as a little kid because it was yeah. just like, come on. And then he'd release a book and you'd be like, okay, cool, neat, great book. Where's the Dark Tower? <laughs> it's like uh, uh, George R. R. Martin with uh, well, not the Game bad. of Thrones. Not that bad. At least he had at least, at least he had some finished it. Yeah, and he yeah. input output a lot of different books he in did. between. He did. Uh, a short story, The Little Sisters of Illuria, was released in an anthology called Legends in 1998. Yeah, we got a little crumb a uh, year later, a little crumb to wait. I randomly found Legends. I didn't realize it was 1988 when that came out, but I randomly found a paperback version a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, in a bookstore, yeah. Uh, part five, The Wolves of the Cala, we released in 2003. Uh, so another six-year wait in between. <sighs> it's torture. But then part six, Song of Susanna, and part seven, The Dark Tower, would both be released in 2004. Yeah, finally. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> he had a reason. We'll get to it. Uh, the Wind Through the Keyhole, which chronologically takes place between parts four and five, was released in 2012. Yes. Uh, which I, is yeah. a story within the story right. of them telling a story. Yeah. It's a good book. Though. It's so good. Yeah. I, I loved it. I thought it was really good. Anything that has to do with the Dark Tower is just gold. It's just, yeah. In 1982, King published Different Seasons, a collection of four novellas with a more serious dramatic bent than the horror fiction for which he had become famous. I read that in the back of a pickup truck driving from San Diego to Texas with my good buddy Jay. We read it to each other. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It was very... Uh, we both got very nauseous <laughs> trying to do this, and we were stuck in the back of a truck with a cab on it. Yeah, with those ridges, it was so uncomfortable. Yeah, for a billion miles. I, you know, it's funny. I'm pretty sure that uh, the Bachman books. The first time that I read those was in the back of a truck heading from Des Moines to La Lead, South Dakota. Nice through the Black Hills. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. I, I remember it was definitely some Stephen King. I don't remember what it was. Gen Xers always have a back of a pickup truck story. <laughs> they do. Uh, three of the four novellas in different seasons were adapted as films. Uh, the Body was adapted as Stand By Me in 1986, which we also have an episode about Stand By Me. Yeah. Uh, so please listen to that. Uh, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption was released as The Shawshank Redemption in 1994. You. And Apt Pupil as the film of the same name in 1998. All really good adaptations. Yeah, I haven't seen Apt Pupil in a long time, but I, I, I remember the story is burned into my brain. And Sir Ian McKellen was... yeah. Deliciously awful the, in that movie. The kid in that book is one of the greatest "quote unquote" villains. Like oh, yeah. he's so messed up. Oh my god, so and, messed up. And played really well by. Uh, unfortunately, he he passed away. It was Brad Renfro. Oh yeah, who started as Todd Bowden. Is he, the, wait, is he dead? Oh yeah, yeah. He died. I think of a drug overdose. A, a oh many years really? Ago. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was drug overdose. I know he's. I know he had a lot of issues. Oh I know he wow, passed. wow. But Ian McKellen was amazing. Oh, David yeah. Schwimmer was really good as uh, it's the a teacher. I mean, it's a great story. It's just super messed up. It's super messed up, and it's also Brian Singer's. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's very hit or he's, miss for me, and he's also he's very very troubling. <laughs> the fourth story, "The Breathing Method," won the British Fantasy Award for Best Short Fiction. That's a good one too. I'm surprised. I don't really remember it. I need to read it again. It was all, I think that was about the head that got cut off, and then, it was something, it was very... Yeah, I I don't remember, I don't remember. It was good, I don't think they could make it into a movie. Right, right. I don't, maybe, who knows. King recalls... I got the best reviews of my life, and that was the first time that people thought, whoa, this isn't really a horror thing. 
In fact, King recalls randomly meeting a woman who didn't believe that he wrote the Shawshank Redemption since King only wrote, quote-unquote, horror trash, in her words. He, this is the curse of being a very popular writer who writes horror books, is people dismiss you. They dismiss him because of the content of his books, not... They don't judge it on the way that it's written on the the talent. Yeah, Yeah, the talent. Uh, King struggled with addiction throughout the 80s and often wrote under the influence of drugs and alcohol. He says he... Barely remembers writing. Cujo. Uh, Yeah, Cujo was the one that... He actually is mad that he doesn't remember writing it because he really likes the book. Yeah, well, he also... uh, He also doesn't remember writing... um, Tommyknockers. Tommyknockers. Yeah. Because Tommyknockers was the height of his cocaine yeah. addiction. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I think this, at this point, with Cujo in the early 80s, I think it was a lot more alcoholism than it was the hard hard drugs. And it was beer. He was a beer holic. Yeah. He would come yeah. home and he would have a six-pack or a 12-pack, and, yeah. and then it just, he was basically drinking almost a case of beer a day. It's amazing to me that with all the alcohol he was drinking and all the drugs he was doing, he was still outputting a thousand pages a, mo- a year. Like yeah. it was crazy. Well, because it, it does, there's the true addiction is writing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, there's no stopping that. And there's something in him that it's an impulse. Yeah. He, he has, has to. stories he has in him to and he do has it. to tell. Yeah. There's no, there's no other way around it. Other books released in the eighties from Stephen King, Christine, Pet Cemetery and Cycle of the Werewolf all in 1983. All great. All, all in 1983. That's crazy. Uh, apparently, at this point, the publisher decided that one book a year was not going to cut we it. We need six. We need, we need money. <laughs> yeah, well, they realized the constant readers, we want more. They're going to read it regardless. We'll yeah. wait six years for the next Dark Tower book, <laughs> damn it. Christine got the movie treatment from John Carpenter eight months after the book was published. Oh, such a great guilty pleasure great of mine. Movie. I know, same. I, I think mean, it's a really good movie, though. I think it's a good movie, yeah. Very 80s. Yeah. Very 80. <laughs> Pet Cemetery has been adapted twice in 1989 and 2019 with a prequel movie released in 2021. Didn't see the prequel. The remake was garbage. I like the first one. I, it's not a great movie, but there is a certain charm to the 80s. Yeah. King adaptations that I will always yeah. love. I, no, 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 no. I, I, I agree. And, I, and you have Fred Quinn. Fred Quinn was Sometimes great. Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> it's really funny because Pet Cemetery of all his books is probably the lower tier for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like it's not. But the book is so much better than. I, but even the book, I'm just kind of like, okay. Uh, there is like and, aspects of that book that just creep me the F but out. But again, need to read him again. It's been a long time. Well, I think at this point, too, a lot of times the movies and the books kind of get mangled together. Yeah. And you're kind of like, oh, Pet Cemetery wasn't that great a story. Right, but then if you right. read the story, it's... It's actually not. Yeah, it's yeah. actually good. Yeah. Uh, the Talisman and Eyes of the Dragon were released in 1984. Uh, the Talisman was written with Peter Straub and re- received a sequel, Black House, in 2001. <sighs> so good. I Both love... so good. Yeah. It's such such a cool, like, fairy tale take. And, yeah. And yeah. I, I believe that... Uh, it's being made into a miniseries right now. Yes, they are talking about doing a miniseries for it. Uh, a third novel was actually planned by Straub and King, but Straub died in 2022 before anything was written. Yeah. Uh, but although King is planning on releasing a third novel as a tribute to his friend. Great. Uh, so there's going to be another one at some point. Good. Uh, I-, I wonder if he'll have still split the... I'm probably be Peter Straub and Stephen King. I, I, mean, I assume they, I mean, they probably have notes and they talked about it. Sure. So, I mean, yeah. I would hope so. Eyes of the Dragon, originally written for his daughter, is King's only quote unquote fantasy novel in the strictest sense of the fantasy genre. Yeah, but it's pretty cool. It's a great, I really liked Eyes of the Dragon. 
Uh, it was. I'd be re- interested to see him write some more fantasy. I agree. I agree. It was released in limited edition in 1984 and gained a mass market release in 1987. Uh, Skeleton Crew was released in 1985, his second collection of short stories. Uh, this collection contains The Mist and The Jaunt, considered to be two of King's best works. Yeah, and The Mist is one of the best film adaptations of his oh, works, yeah, too. Yeah. Uh, it's, pre- it's, it's very telling when, when Stephen King watches the end of your movie, changes the ending, and goes, man, I wish I'd thought of that. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. just so one of the up. most heartbreaking so messed up. endings of any movie. It's just the bleakest ending of any movie I think I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, six stories did receive adaptations. The Raft was adapted as a segment of the 1987 anthology film Creepshow 2 with a script by George A. Romero. Okay. Uh, Word Processor of the Gods in 1984 was a 22-minute episode of Tales from the Dark Side, a syndicated show that ran for four seasons from George A. Romero. Such a great bad show. I, you know, it's funny. I, I went into a deep hole with Tales from the Dark Side because I didn't remember it at all. Well, this was the heyday of amazing horror anthology. You had Tales from the Dark Side. You had Monsters. You had Friday the 13th, the series. Uh, yeah. You had, uh, what was that HBO one? Crip, uh, uh, with, with the, the Crypt, Crypt Keeper. It was, Tales I from think the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt. Thank there you. you yeah. So it was just this great time where you had all these really great yeah. horror, you know, not, they well, weren't and, always and great episodes. No, but, no. But in the great anthology films like Creepshow and Creepshow yeah. 2, mm-hmm. like it, it, was, it, was, it was a good time for short stories. Oh, yeah. Uh, Grandma was adapted into an episode of the 1985 iteration of The Twilight Zone written by Harlan Ellison. Yeah, that was, oh. I don't, I don't remember it at all. Uh, in 2014, it was loosely adapted into a film called Mercy, starring Chandler Riggs and Dylan McDermott. Okay. Uh, which I never saw. Neither did I. Uh, the Mist was adapted into a film in 2007, written and directed by Frank Darabont. Darabont is a really good shepherd of King's work. He is. That and Shawshank Redemption are, are yeah. two of the best adaptations. Yeah, yeah. And Green Mile, too. Green Mile's Green great. Mile's done really well. I really, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was later adapted, The Mist was later adapted as a 2017 Spike TV series. I watched it. Did you? Mm-hmm. It never, wasn't bad. Um, it really wasn't. Uh, Survivor Type was adapted as an animated segment for a special episode of the 2019 Creepshow TV series. Yeah. Is Survivor Type the one where he eats himself? Yes. Yeah, that was... Oh. I re- now I remember. So, the, the story is like four pages long, oh but it's God. literally just him all thought process or... you know. Um, Stream of consciousness yes. of him just like, I got to do this. I got to do this. And then so, suddenly he's just like a torso. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what to do now. Oh, it's so good. Oh, God, it's so messed up. So messed up. Uh, the Jaunt will be made into a feature film by production company Plan B Entertainment with Andy Muschietti set to direct. Okay. Uh, the name might sound familiar because he did the new uh, It uh, It's. It's. But It's Chapter it's. 1 and It's Chapter 2. The it's. Um, it Chapter 2. It's. Uh, uh, yeah. That's not my joke. I think that was Bill Hader's joke. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, he did a great job. Great job. The the two part film adaptation of It isn't necessarily the most uh, faithful adaptation, yeah. but in terms of the feel of the book, yeah, and just that wrapping yourself in the horror of that, it does such yeah. a great yeah. job. And the visuals are amazing. Oh, the God. casting was yeah. great. Yeah, it was. I mean, they were. It, it was good. They were good. Yeah. I, I enjoyed them. I definitely enjoyed them. I, I enjoyed the first one more. Yeah, but I enjoyed them both quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, it was released in 1986 and has been adapted into a television miniseries and a two-part feature film 
Okay. Uh, the TV miniseries was released in 1990, and due to huge ratings, started a Stephen King miniseries renaissance with mixed results. Oh, yeah. Every year you look forward to that. I remember sitting around with my buddies, drinking, yeah. and uh, maybe some of them were smoking illicit substances. What? I no. But, uh, yeah. Look, I I still watch that miniseries. Oh yeah, because yeah. I mean it's not the greatest in the world, but it's it's a who's who of your oh, favorite yeah. sitcom stars, which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it had Harry Anderson yeah. and John Ritter and uh, Venus Flytrap mm-hmm. from WKRP in Cincinnati, and uh, it's it was just crazy how they had these comic actors come in and play these right, play these roles. Ser- yeah, yeah. And John Ritter was a was amazing. Was and so was Harry Anderson. It was too. a huge yeah. It's not it's small. All it's of them not are great, <laughs> but it's guilty pleasure. And 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 Tim Curry as Pennywise was delicious. Yeah. He had such a yeah. good time with oh, it. Oh my god, so good. You all float down here, Charlie. <laughs> you all float down here. The Golden Years was released in 1991. Uh, it was an original screenplay from King, who uh, originally intended on writing it as a novel. Yeah, it was, it's one of the – well, that and uh, Storm of the Century, I think, are his yeah. two straight miniseries. Yeah, yeah. That did that. He, that originally written for the screen. Yeah. yeah. I think he did an adaptation of Storm of the Century Probably. Uh, into a novel. I, I'm not yeah. positive. I don't think he did. Really? I don't think he did. Okay. Uh, the Tommyknockers was, was released over two nights in 1993. Yeah, that had uh, Jimmy Smits. <laughs> Jimmy Smits. Jimmy Smits. And uh, one of the first legitimate roles that um, oh, the porn star girl who was under Tracy Lords? Tracy Lords was in it. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she wasn't the other lead. The other lead was no, the— No, 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 no. She was not. She was supporting. But... Oh, I forget her name, but she was a, a really good TV actor. Anyway, yeah, it wasn't a yeah. great. It was. It was not a great adaptation. The book itself is not great. It, it's fine. It's interesting. It's a slow burn, but it totally has a feel like you're coming down from a cocaine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, binge <laughs> a cocaine weekend because it's just this like these headaches and stuff that people get from yeah, the, from yeah. the vibrating of these alien ships. <laughs> Ugh, okay, I, I like the book. I, I wasn't it was, a huge it was fan fine. of the miniseries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Stand was released over four nights in 1984. It was adapted by Stephen King. Yeah. Uh, that r- r- just horrified all of us. The ending fight was just so ridiculous. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. It just went into this. It was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, and yeah. it started out great. I mean, it, it, it the cast was really cool. Again, your favorite yeah. team. That's the thing about these. The, the Stephen King miniseries were like the Battle of the Network stars of the 90s. It's when yeah. you got all your favorite stars together <laughs> in one thing to battle it out in a fictional way rather yeah. than playing dodgeball against each other. <laughs> the Langoliers ran over two parts in 1995, uh, which also very guilty pleasure. <laughs> that movie has the worst special effects of just about any movie ever so made. so bad, but I love the concept oh, so me much. me too. And I love the book, but it's just the chompers. <laughs> They're so We're just bad. like, it's just like there's it's nothing so not scary good. about these little furballs. <laughs> but it, it is such a weird and frightening and unique book, too, yeah. about people that wake up. So weird. On a flight, and there's just like piles of watches and and, and fillings and stuff, and they don't know where everybody went, and then they're in this like weird time thing. They're essentially out of time. And the Langoliers are what eats time. They they eat everything up in the past. So weird. It's such a weird concept. This is him not on drugs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, It would culminate in the 1997 TV adaptation of The Shining, which ran over three nights and was written by Stephen King. 
Yeah. Well, it was his, like, F you to Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. It had Steven Weber of Wings, who wasn't the strongest choice. Again, it was like a chance for these sitcom stars to, to... to stretch, shine stretch and their stretch wings. their wings, thank yeah. you. But it's just nobody was asking for. St- it's like I, it, it, it was. God love you, Stephen Weber, yeah. and you were you've been great in a lot of Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. He's been in a ton of yeah. them, yeah. and he's a good actor. It's just that when 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 you're when you're second after Jack Nicholson, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's yes, yes. That's true. Uh, although it was shot entirely in the Stanley Hotel, which inspired King to write the novel. Uh, so there's that. It's not bad. It's a good adaptation, but it just shows, too, that Kubrick might have been right about cutting a lot of this stuff. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, in addition to the Dark Tower, Dark Tower 2, The Drawing of the Three, being released in 1987, King also released Misery and The Tommyknockers. Uh, Misery was adapted into a film starring Kathy Bates and James Caan, directed by Rob Reiner. Oh, yeah. Uh, God, it's so good. King says the novel was influenced by his experiences with addiction. Annie was my drug problem, and she was my number one fan. God, she never wanted to leave. God, that's horrifying. Well, that's true. I, I mean, mean, it's true. It is. I mean, he, he's, he got clean, and he admits it. Just the fact that he was able to do so much work while he was so effed up on drugs and alcohol is just a testament to his workout. Exactly. Uh, the Tommy and Knock- his obsession with writing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Tommyknockers, what King calls... A 40s-style science fiction tale. ...was influenced by his drug use. Uh, as we said, I, he does not really remember writing any of it. And definitely is a, it. about, <laughs> it's definitely about cocaine. You should do, you should read it while on cocaine to get the <laughs> most benefit out of it. <laughs> It'll actually make sense. It will, it. yeah. Uh, after the, read it fast, though. After, you don't want to be. <laughs> you, well, you have to read it fast. You read it in a weekend. Cocaine. Binge. After the book was published, King's wife staged an intervention, and he agreed to seek treatment for his addiction. Good for him. Uh, 1989 saw the release of The Dark Half. Uh, about an author with a dark alter ego, much like King had with Bachman. Oh, yeah. Uh, it would be adapted into a feature film in 1983 from George A. Romero, which I did not realize that movie was directed by George Romero. Yeah, it's another guilty pleasure. I liked it. Timothy Hutton starred in it. Timothy Hutton, uh, it, which was like, really? Timothy Hutton? But he was amazing. He he was in Ordinary People. Yeah. With yeah. Uh, uh, Mary Tyler Moore. Very... Uh, very popular, sad, sad movie about suicide and such. He was also in Taps. He yeah. was a big yeah, yeah. child star, or, yeah. you know, a young adult star. Yeah, I mean, he's not. A, he's a good actor. He's not a bad actor. Uh, hey, house, what you doing up there, house? That's what the <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the dark half. Yeah, he would always yeah. call him house. <laughs> Stephen King's got a lot of weird colloquialisms oh, that does. work really well on paper, but. If you start <laughs> reciting his dialogue, it's just a little weird, but it works so I, well within yeah, the confines of yeah. the book. I know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, <laughs> uh, in 1999, King was hospitalized after being hit by a van. Uh, he was taking a long walk, which he does through the main countryside when he gets writer's block. Uh, he got the idea for the house bomb explosion in the stand during one of these walks. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, he couldn't figure out what to do. And as he's walking, he's like, I have an idea. I'm going to kill half the characters in the book. Okay. You know, uh, he would later buy the van that almost killed him. Reflecting on the incident, King wrote, It occurs to me that I have nearly been killed by a character out of one of my own novels. It's almost funny. He said his nurses were told in no uncertain terms, don't make any misery jokes. The near-death experience is what prompted him to finish the Dark Tower series in a much quicker fashion. Well, then it was worth it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, but I remember when that happened. Yeah. Oh, my God. I thought I was, I 
thought he was dead. My and mom called me and was like, have you heard about Stephen? Okay, I have to do a new impersonation <laughs> of my mom because I got to stop it. Yes. My mom called and said, have you heard about the news <laughs> about Stephen King? And, uh, and I was just devastated because you thought he was going to die. Yeah. He started getting better. And then there was the whole thing where he's like, I'm never going to be able to write again. Yeah, it, like he he didn't know because my mean, brain is effed from being hit by yeah. this truck. My his leg was shattered. And so oh, surprised they were able to save awful. it. It was awful. And uh, and the and the the dude was playing with his damn dogs. Yeah, and, and just it was looked it was side of the road. just an accident. I mean, it was it sucks. I mean, I'm sure he probably wasn't expecting anybody to be on the road, but I don't even think he was thinking about that. No, and and such. A near death experience, and I mean, yeah. well, he was like in his fifties, probably at that point. Uh, Forty-seven to ninety-nine, fifty-two. Yeah, yeah, it's about my age. Yeah, and uh, I'll tell you, getting hit by a van at my age, you ain't you're gonna recover <laughs> as quickly. <laughs> but, nope. But he went through it, and writing is basically what saved his life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it also includes why he suddenly became a character in his own novels and spawned a comprehensive King universe where his books are all interconnected. There is a great scene in one of the Dark Tower books where they're going to save him because he's going to get hit by yeah, this guy. Yeah. And they need him. And the you you have – it's like a split. You got what's going on with the van guy. You got what's going on with the, with the our group of heroes. And you have what's going on with Stephen King. And it's just such a – a suspenseful part of the book, yeah. and you don't know what's going to happen because things are rewritten. You right, know? And, right, right. And and I know it sounds super convoluted with him being his books and all this stuff, and it yeah. sounds, but it works. It works in yeah. such a, a. That's the thing about him is stuff that shouldn't work, or stuff that should be goofy, or stuff that you think is like um, oh, a dog with rabies. How is right. that going to sustain a book? Right. He just has a gift of making. Almost like untellable stories, tellable. Yeah, yeah, and in such a unique way. And yeah, the accident was was horrific, and we almost lost him. And not only that, but if he wasn't able to write, he wouldn't have lasted very. No, no, he would have withered away, or he would have killed himself. I don't think you can, you know, because that is an amputation. Yeah, that's your personality. That's your that's your you great reason to live. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, King's wife, Tabitha, is also a novelist with eight novels released since 1981. She's really good. Uh, Have you read any I've of her books? I've not read any of her I've stuff. Written a, yeah. written, I've written a couple of her books. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I've read a couple of her books. Uh, very good. I mean, yeah. you know, very she, different. But She releases novels more on a regular schedule like most people do. Uh, not like Stephen King, having eight books over 40 years. Well, she also has the luxury. I mean, they both do, but the luxury they, yeah, of... yeah. You just do whatever you want to do whenever you want yeah, to do it. Yeah, uh, Their two sons are also novelists. Uh, Joe Hill, who chose to publish under that name to not capitalize on his father's name. Good for him. Uh, his first short story collection was released in 2005, and he's had four novels and two other collections released since then. He also created the comic Lock and Key, which he wrote for five years. Yeah, that was a Netflix Did adaptation. Did not realize that was Joe Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hill has had three features and two TV shows adapted from his works. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's good. He's really good. Uh, Nosferatu is a really good book. Yeah. And it's a good series, too. Yeah. I never finished it, but... I didn't either. Uh, Owen King, the younger brother, had his first short story collection released in 2005. He used his father's name. He did. Well, I'm going to get as much out of it as I can. Yeah. 
<laughs> kidding. He's he, very talented yeah. in his own right. He co-wrote Sleeping Beauties with his father, which was released in 2017 as, and has had two other novels released. Sleeping Beauties was great. Did you ever finish that? No. I couldn't get past the first, like, 20 pages. Oh. I, something about it just I, just turned me off. Yeah, I, I really liked it. It was a really interesting... I, yeah. Because it was about yeah. uh, all of the women like, being yeah. put in, you know, like, like, put in, but, like, this weird kind of uh, silky... Spider webby kind of thing goes over them, and they all go oh, into these comas, oh. and they're all in this like different world. Oh, weird! And it's like, do they want to come back, or do they want to oh. stay there and that's create a scene, society? And... That's more interesting to me now because I just thought it was about a bunch of women that fell asleep. <laughs> okay, yes, <laughs> if you want to put it in the most that is what terms. the dust jacket said, man. All right, well, they didn't lie, but I, yeah. I think if you can get past that. 20 pages. It's the other thing I did not like at the beginning. They listed all the characters. Yeah. And like it was just weird. And I, I'm not really sure why. Because there's a lot of effing characters there are. to keep track and of. I, and it was just like, okay. Like I, get, I mean, I get it. I guess it was more reference than anything else. Sure. But like maybe that should have been at the back of the book. I, d- I don't know. Okay. Anyway, I needed to give it another shot. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, their oldest child, Naomi, is a Unitarian minister in Florida. Can you imagine being the only member of your family that isn't a writer? Uh, she actually has a, a – she's pretty famous in her circles because her and her wife are uh, – created some new, like, religion meditation thing. Sure, sure. Like, I did a whole a whole weird deep dive onto it. Well, I mean, great for her for being successful out of yeah. the family business. Yeah. But it's just, I, you know, it would be weird if everybody's in the family business. Yeah. And then she's Except like, you. Eh. And it's probably, she's, she's probably got the, I don't know. I think maybe she just didn't get the bug. Yeah. I yeah. mean, probably. Probably. Not think everybody's got to be the same. I think it's because she was born out of wedlock. Okay. Yes, because she's a <laughs> bastard. Bastards can't write, <laughs> no, is what Adam they says. They become ministers. And, what, and to, for their shame, to yeah. make up for their bastardy <laughs> yes. shame? Yes. Well, they got to get into heaven somehow, Jim. Yeah. Uh, King continues to write despite having, quote-unquote, retired a number of times throughout his career. Never. Um, it's so funny because there's, like, rumors where it's, like, he mentions it one time. He's like, nah, I don't know. Like, I'm getting up there. And then the BD just runs with it. And he's like, oh, my God, he's retiring. He's retiring. Yeah, sell like, papers. Because the last time he was, it was essentially um, him saying, like, I don't know if I'm going to publish anymore. Yeah. I'm going to keep writing, but I don't know if I'm going to publish anymore. Well, he also then, said after f- completing the Dark Tower series, he's done. Yeah. Well, he's that's what that. I mean. There's been a number of times where – but this was, this was also the last one that I was talking about was before he did, like, Mr. Mercedes and Finders. Right. Like, he, like, just went in a different direction. It was like, yeah. oh, yeah, this is more interesting. Okay. Yeah. He's, the man is going to write until the day he dies. Yes. And, and, and even the day he dies, he I'm sure he will have written. die at early. his typewriter. Yeah, if we're lucky. I mean, I'm hoping. <laughs> get to work, buddy. I want another novel. I want a few. I want to get. Like I said, the saddest day. Oh, it's going to be. Is going to be when you realize there's never going to be another Stephen King book. Because it has been such a staple of our lives yeah. forever. I mean, before yeah. you were born. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, and pretty soon me. after yeah. I was. You know? It's yeah. like. there. I've never really known a world of where I read yeah. that Stephen King hasn't been a huge part of it. Yeah, yeah. In the beginning, when I was doing, you know, Choose Your Own Adventures and Laurel, yeah, yeah, I was going to say yeah. Laurel and Hardy, the Hardy Boys <laughs> and Nancy Drew. Yeah. And, and, you know, but it's, once I hit that switch of, of 
adult literature, mm-hmm. then that's all I wanted was adult literature. Oh, I didn't yeah, care yeah, about yeah. you know the kids. No, the books. kids stuff was it was for kids. Yeah. I, I was I was old too old for that. I still enjoyed the Choose Your Own Adventures though. Um, Choose Your Own Adventures is amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. It's funny this month, you know, first loves, and and we talked about how the Bionic Man and uh, Sam Beckett from Quantum Leap. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of formed a lot of our morality yeah. and, and, and our, ser- our hero complexes, yeah. as it were, you know, good, good and bad. Yeah, yeah. But I think for me, and probably for you, I don't want to speak for you, but I think Stephen King had a, a big influence on me as an artist. Yes, yes. You know, you look at my short stories in college, my <laughs> Jack Puck from Hell collection, they're just Stephen King ripoffs. Yeah. You know, yeah. the most, I mean, you know, the, the the professors liked them, but they were just like these are way too gory or blah blah blah. Yeah, but it's yeah. just because that's what I was into, you know. And it's also I don't know if you have this, but when I'm really into something that I'm reading, it'll I'll start thinking of things that I want to write that aren't necessarily right. the same thing as this, but maybe a variation of the tale, or it, it yeah. inspires me to be more creative. And I always I always know when I'm reading a Stephen King book. That it'll pop me into writing at some point, yeah. Because yeah. I get, I get uh, inspired by him, yeah. And not only that, but it juices the creative nerve, right? Right. Because right. it's so, there, it's so all encompassing. When you're reading a Stephen King book, everything else disappears. Yeah, yeah. You get in that fully world. immersed. Yeah. yeah, and 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 as much as I love every other author <laughs> that there is, <laughs> I can't think of anybody else. Except for maybe John Irving in a different way that does that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 that is rare. And that's why I love him so much. Yeah. Because we've talked about, you know, I was a kid that needed to disappear as a kid. Right, right. I needed times where I was alone. And I, I cherished private time. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and nothing was better than finding a corner, grabbing a Stephen King book. And disappearing for hours. Yeah. Because you're yeah. quiet. Nobody knows what you're doing, where you are. <laughs> and and you can live in that world. And whatever else is going on outside in the world and whoever is bullying you or whatever's going on, at least for that four hours or whatever, you are out of it. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You're out of that world. You're in this world. You don't have to worry about anything else. And his characters were flawed. They had issues. They had problems. They were real people. And for, you know, people that, grew up with abuse and people that grew up, you know, kind of as the anti-heroes or, you know, yeah. we had somebody to root for. We had somebody, we had mirrors right, to us right, because right. a lot of his characters dealt with abuse or dealt with pain and suffering. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, it, it may be horror and it may be monsters, but at the core of it, it's humanity and the human struggle. Right. Right. And, uh, and I don't think anybody modern day at least, captures humanity, which is so crazy to say because he's such a fantastical writer, but I don't think there's uh, many people, maybe Larry McMurtry, but there aren't many people that cap- that create characters that are so three-dimensional, so well-defined, that you, you, they feel like real people to you. And right. by the time you get to right. the end of the book, if somebody gets killed, you're mourning them. You're, yeah. It bums yeah. you out. Yeah, and it's 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 the consistency, like that he does it... He has such large output, but the consistency of quality is up there. And, like, that's just – that's unsurpassed by anybody else. And the 
variety of styles, whether it's, you know, a 40s dime store detective novel that he's writing or, you know, a a monster movie or a a story of abuse. Like, uh, what was the name of the book about the they made a movie out of it, too, about the trucker who rapes the woman and dumps her Um. and she... Like Big Wheels or something, or yes. Big Driver, yeah, or something like that. Like Big Driver. I mean, that movie is horrific. I mean, yeah. that, that story is horrific, not because it's a horror story, but because of what this woman goes through. Right, right. And it's that's some of the my favorite stories of his are these small struggles of humanity, yeah. or these stories of not so much revenge, but of either redemption or of justice i yeah. guess yeah you know i one of my favorite novels of his and it's it's not really a novel it's more of a novella but is elevation mm. which is th- the the biggest conflict in it is whether or not uh people are going to go hang out at his the main character's neighbor's uh bakery because she's a lesbian yeah. and it's like but in the meantime like he's slowly losing gravity yeah. and like floating around it's, weird. And it's like, like thinner but yeah but it was it's so good because the characters are so real yeah because and, you want to know what happens yeah. you care about these people I, and i'll have to say uh revival which dealt with uh evangelical yeah yeah you know, christians and but i will have to say his description of the afterlife what the afterlife is is the most frightening thing I have ever read in my life. I don't. I, I know I've read that. I don't remember any. Of I don't want to spoil it for anybody yeah, who hasn't read it I, because read it, it is jarringly horrifying. And I had never thought about that possibility of what what hell could the, be. What the, no, not even hell. What the purpose of humanity oh, is. Oh, I see. And then the I purpose see. of the afterlife oh. is swift up. Maybe that I, I haven't read. I that. like had to. I feel like I would remember. I needed that. a break. I had to like <laughs> sit and think about this yeah. for a couple of days because wow. it freaked me out so much because wow. I never thought of a concept like that. That's and that's fascinating. Him. Yeah. yeah. He still he still writes kids so well. I, I some people complained about the institute and and some of the kids using jargon from like the 50s sure. and stuff. But I turn around and you read something like later, mm-hmm. which is one of his surprisingly enough was a hard-boiled detective or hard-boiled fiction like thing which of course involved a kid that saw ghosts right. and and like dead people but like that kid is written so well yeah and it's so good and that he's still so consistent mr harrington's phone was a really great one too yeah. that he wrote and he wrote kids really well i think he writes characters like i said a lot of his dialogue reads well but doesn't sound yeah. great yeah. but i think that's that's Books, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you can't compare. You don't compare books. You don't compare TV, film. All of it is its no, own entity. No. And why it's called adapting. <laughs> exactly. And I enjoy the colloquialisms that he uses. I do, too. In his book. I do, too. They may be dated. They may be weird. And a lot of times they're weird. <laughs> he has a lot of weird sayings. Weird characters saying weird <laughs> shit. That's the, in the Christine, the one older guy who's just constantly calling people shitters. Shitters. Shitters everywhere. Well, that was the great, and then the young kid, that's when they knew the yeah. kid was possessed. Right. Like, you know, them shitters. Yeah. Get them shitters coming after me. Me, 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 me. But, so uh, good. but look, if for some reason you've never read a Stephen King book, and I'm sure there's a lot of you out yeah, there that yeah. are just like, I don't read horror. I don't read that stuff. Read Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, read different start, start seasons. different seasons, yeah. You know, read Le- Lizzie's story. Read, you know. Read the, the Bachman books. Read the Bachman books. Read On Writing. Read Dance Macabre. Yeah. There, there's something for everyone with him. 
it's not just mind altering horror, <laughs> but there is that. There and, is that too. Yeah. And if you really want to be scared, I mean, being scared by a book is a feat, especially yeah. in today's world where everything <laughs> world is effed up to begin with and we're you... used to, you know, movies and TV being so scary and everything. The fact that books can still scare me, yeah. his books, it's just a testament to how absolutely incredible he is. And he will be remembered as one of the greatest American authors yeah. of the 20th century. Agreed. And the Agreed. 21st. Yeah. He's up there, man. He's our classic. He's Steinbeck. He is. He is. is he, he needs to be put in the same realm as those writers. Yes. He sure. is a great American novelist and one of the best storytellers I've ever He's an American treasure. <laughs> he is. Don't die, I'm ever. Keep writing. And let's get some more yeah, I Dark Towers. I need at least 40 more books before you go, man. I think Mike Flanagan's also doing Dark Towers. He is. Trying to he is. He's adapting it. that, yeah. He's, he'd be really good. That last series he did for Netflix, the like churchy one. Ha- oh. Uh, not Mass, that. the Mass or something. Black Mass. Blah, or, something like that. Something like that. That was very Stephen King. No, he yeah, had a yeah. super duper. That's why I really liked it. I'm yeah. like, okay, this is like a Stephen King without Stephen King. <laughs> right, I mean, he really right. gets it. He knows how to build suspense. He knows uh, character. It's just he he gets that type of storytelling really well, which yeah. makes me super excited if he can pull I mean, off the Dark Tower. Look, he has respect for Stephen King. Yes. I mean, he directed the sequel to The Shining, yeah. uh, uh, Dr. Sleep. Mm-hmm. And he went to Stephen King, knowing that Stephen King did not like Kubrick's yeah. version. But he was like, look, it's going to have to be this because this is what people know. Yeah. And Stephen King was like, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah. go ahead. Like, do it. It was it was really good. Yeah. I really like that movie. It's very underrated. I agree. Um, I agree. Ewan McGregor's so good in it. Yeah. And it's, it's he, he, like we talked about, he's doing uh, the, the Peter Straub yeah, the, the Talisman Black, Black House Talisman, trilogy, yeah. or almost trilogy, the yeah. duology. Uh, so we have some good people yeah. working on his things, and it's. But you're right; it's he, Frank Darabont, people that love his work and want to, and, and Muschietti too, or Muschietti. Yeah. I don't know how you say his Muschietti, name. Muschietti, I think. Yeah. You know, they all are huge fans of his. Yeah, they have. If I, it's like if yeah, I got a chance right, to direct right. a Stephen King film, it would be the dream of my life because. It would also be the most nerve-wracking thing ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what if I mess this up? We're in a a very good era right now. I mean, with, like, John Favreau doing Star Wars stuff. Like, and uh, what's his name? Uh... The other guy, I think he did all the animated stuff. Oh, uh, Dave Filoni. Filoni. Dave Filoni and John Favreau, like, they're, they're fans. They're, they're, they respect the work. And, and this is the beautiful part of Stephen King. All of these people making these movies now and these miniseries grew up with his yes. work. They grew up loving him. He was a huge influence. And it is always – it's the difference between The Witcher and The Mandalorian. I know. The I Witcher – Had such good potential. <laughs> it – was good because Henry Cavill yeah, was great. Yeah. He understood the character, loved the character, loved the games, loved the books. When you have a writing team and a producing team who isn't a fan of the yeah. source material, F them. And that You can only go so far. And with, if they're like, F the fans, that you're not doing yeah. service to the work. Right. Nobody right. wants to see your version of no, The Witcher, dude. No. I am sorry. We love it for a reason. Otherwise, you end up with things like The Lawnmower Man. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, people that don't take, you know, well, they're like, 
There's been a lot of schlocky. And, uh, and looking yeah. at you, Stephen King. Uh, maximum uh, overdrive. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot of schlock. And I think that's the problem. I think that the adaptations, at least the early ones, were yeah. pretty schlocky. So people just were like, eh, yeah, that, that I, I, seems like a yeah. dumb story. Yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, okay. Well, that's all. That's all we got. Uh, it's so much more we can talk about Stephen King. It's uh, the f- well, not the first. I was, this is the third of the Stephen King thing. Uh, this done. is the third time we've talked about right. Stephen King, and yeah. we've got plans to do uh, what we call Needful Kings volumes yeah. one, two, yeah. three. You know where we go through. We pick some movies from the seventies. More, yeah, more eighties. More in depth with the movies yeah. adaptations, and we'll go and, and even books too. I think we're definitely going to have to do a Dark Tower, yeah, show yeah. because it's our it's my favorite. And yeah. I know it's one of your favorite. Oh yeah, oh uh, yeah. You know, uh, opuses. Greatest ending to a opus ever. Oh my god, and which is ironic because. King does have an ending problem sometimes. He does. He does. Uh, but this was the perfect – could not have ended any better. There's no – nothing I would have changed. And no, it's, it's no. so perfectly – it's a perfect circle. That yeah. story is it's a perfect so effing so circle. Good. If you haven't read the Dark Tower series, get your ass out there and do it. Yeah. Well, we'll be back next week. We're going to do a stepdad show, talk more about our first loves and other things other things we loved growing yeah. up. We'll talk a little bit more about the new Quantum Leap show that we're watching. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> talk more about the $6 million man and how it should not be Mark Wahlberg. Oh, my God. And, and we're not the only ones. No, People are no. writing articles now no. that, that mirror what we said, which he's long in the tooth. He's just, he's just too long. And, 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 and I know he's in... In uh, in the Fall Guy, but I I think Ryan Gosling would be the perfect. I know, I agree. He I agree. or Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think, would be the two perfect bionics, bionic mins. Yeah. All right, we'll see y'all later, constant listeners. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, I I was telling you, uh, I, I don't. To me, Lord of the Flies has always been represented. To me, the to me, Lord of the Flies has always represented what novels are for. Why are why are they? <sighs> you got it. To me, so, so sorry, which is so. <laughs> <laughs> we now return you to your regularly scheduled program, Max Headroom, already in progress.